you see him? Can you see him in your mind's eye? Yeah, I can picture him. It's really annoying. Hang on. Is it Jock McTavish? Jock McTavish. Googie McDonald. Donald McDougal. Hector McDonald? Hector McDavish. Is it Tommy Burns? Tommy Burns. Kenny Burns. Tommy Burns. Tommy Burns. Tommy Burns. The former assistant manager and also midfielder. Midfielder? Yeah. Kenny Loggins. Tommy Burns. We've got there. Tommy Burns. Kenny Loggins. That famous Scotsman, <laughs> Kenny Loggins. I went from Kenny Burns to Kenny Loggins. It was a leap of faith. Didn't work. I fell into the crevasse. Ah! Stop looking up. That. <laughs> okay. What? What? What point are you trying to make? He's better than me now. I'm trying to think what Tommy Boyd looked like. Tommy Boyd. Tommy I Boyd. Can, I can picture Tommy Boyd. Yeah. There you go. John Collins, Craig Burley, Jordan Jury, Tosh McKinley. Tosh oh, McKinley. Tosh McKinley. So was it ever a possibility that you could have played for Scotland rather than England? Strangely, had they ever approached. Had di- a different <laughs> sort of World Cup disappointment. Yeah. So all, all those all those home nations who, who exhaustively try and search the backgrounds of mm. Premier League players to try and make sure that they get their best possible future, mm. they started post-Hinchcliffe. I think the Scottish FA came along, watched a few of my performances and went, yeah. That's mm. kind of how they summed me up. Would you have played for Scotland had the opportunity arisen? Because uh, he really enjoyed one. playing for England. I did like my mum. She was lovely. But would you would have she have wanted me to play for Scotland? Mm. Yeah, it's a tricky one, that. Leave but it with me. It's an interesting one, that, because you, you did have a deep... We, are, we have got a bit of a time pressure here. Do you have a podcast on this subject? It's, Should you choose Scotland over England? Because you did have... It's not like you were completely overlooked by England. You did play for England. You were selected in squads. Wasn't com- overlooked. Not completely or otherwise. No, but exactly. junior levels. So it's not like you hadn't... It's not like the... the as it was for the, a lot of the players who sort of went to play for Ireland, like the, the road was completely blocked with England. But you would have won a lot more oh, yeah. caps playing for Scotland. I was a superstar from day well, one, is what you're saying, really, isn't it's it? Not quite we've, what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh. We have, we've had hypothetical conversations about what Chinch would be worth in the current market mm. as a seven-cap England left-back. Maybe we could have a, a hypothetical thought as to how many Scotland caps he would have won if he'd chosen to go down that particular I think there, must be equations. there must be equations to 64 work out. Scotland yeah. caps. Uh, yeah, definitely Six, more than 50. 67 equals 64. 64 Scotland caps, well, 57 defeats. T- uh, top <laughs> nine, <laughs> so nine Scotland caps. 643 mistakes deliberately. Yeah. Uh, so we were talking about Tommy Boy because Tommy Boy was a, a player who might have been in your way. Yes. Playing for Scotland. Played 72 times, scored once between 1990 and 2001. That would have been classic chinch piece. You could have had an international goal. I doubt it. Would I? I don't know what Scotland must have won the occasional free kick in in and around Mm, the edge of the penalty. Not many. Scotland in the 90s weren't as bad as Scotland are now. Which was the Scotland team that had like that had like a hoop around the shorts that made your bottom yeah, look even that bigger? Was, that, that, that would was have about seen. 92, 93. Yeah, I would have looked ridiculous because my derriere wasn't isn't great anyway. I refuse that, to that. That would have looked ridiculous—a hoop around my bottom. I had, I had that kit. I had that Scotland kit. Really? In fact, yeah. Why? My mum's Scottish as well. Oh, is she? So I, if I'd been international yes, footballer, I would, have, leans, I would have played for Scotland. Leans, you would have played for the really. border. So how many caps would Rory Smith have won if he'd chosen to represent well, Scotland Well, they play with 11 in their team. Yeah, how so. many plates of oranges would you have taken? <laughs> oh, so many. <laughs> so many. Jaff, would it have been haggis? <laughs> no, just, I think the Scots have iron brew flavoured oranges. I think that's how, they, how that works. Everything's, Everything's iron brew flavoured. Everything's iron brew flavoured. And also deep fried. 
the yeah. and we're allowed to say that because uh, we're both half Scottish. Yes, so exactly. do you know what I might do? I am I'm an eighth Scottish. You're an eighth Scottish. I Steve. might write a play uh, about <laughs> an, an eighth, eighth Irish. He's an eighth home county. I might write a play about the hypothetical career I could have had with Scotland. What is it with you? Writing play? Yeah. Do you think Radio Four? Extra. You're obsessed with we'll getting go on it. Radio 4, well, yeah. aren't you? And after yeah. play on Radio 4. Could you not yeah. get on Radio 4 with Gary Richardson's Sports Hour? Sports Week. Or whatever, yeah, Sports really? Week. It was a whole week long. No, that's BBC, that's, that's Five Live, isn't it? Gary Richardson just does the sport in, oh, the, in the morning. Oh, the Today programme, sorry. Yes, Why would they want me on? What to I talk forgot. about what? Anything. Phil. What? what? It's just, oh, football. It's just, football. A, just a slot in the Today programme. You listen to the Today programme. I do. I do listen so to So you know exactly program. what Gary Richardson does at 25 past the hour. He certainly, yes, yes. I have been on something to do with the BBC. I can't remember what it was. I sometimes get really confused if I wake up with Edward now. If Edward wakes wait up between 6 and 7 and I hear the 6.25 sport, because the 7.25 sport is normally when I get out of bed. So <laughs> if I hear the 6.25 sport, there's a part of my body thinking I need to get out of bed and then you realise that it's it's an hour too early and it, it throws me. So what, d- d- does Edward wake up and immediately put the radio on? Yeah. He just loves Radio 4, he just loves it. It's very cerebral, isn't he, Edward, already? Yeah, well, we're hoping so, yeah, but not nerdy. Uh, welcome to <laughs> and a Happy New Year from Set Piece Menu, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I am Hugh Ferris, and the friends, both of me and each other, are Rory Smith of the New York Times, whose New Year's resolution is to remember that only one of his son and dog is human. Steve Wyeth of BT Sport, whose New Year's resolution is to change all the name tags in his socks to Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy Hinchcliffe, whose New Year's resolution is to tattoo his body with the word super dry so he can fall go all those expensive shopping trips. That's a good, it's a good idea, isn't it? Save me a lot of money. It's yeah. a nice super dry t-shirt you're wearing. Thanks, man. Uh, I'm not even going to mention what you're wearing. At least you're wearing something this episode. <laughs> Thank you very much. I do try to please. Uh, and we have been pleased, <laughs> if that's not a torturous segue, um, by the most, courtesy once again of uh, Mrs. Nicola Hinchcliffe, the most sensational, fluffy, flavourful... <laughs> fantastic, fantastic cheesecake. Um, did she describe to you the the flavours within? Was it lemon, orange, and lemon, lemon and, and chocolate? chocolate. A chocolate. It's the lightness, isn't it? Yeah, it was fantastic. It's yeah, like you we, do not deserve it. Why have you not? Why have you not finished it? Um, because first of all, I'm, it. I'm speaking, and we need to remember all those people who suffer from misophonia. Yeah. And second of all, uh, is because when we finished yabbering on in about uh, an hour's time I want to make sure I deserve oh, okay. something okay. of a prize okay. do get in touch at setpiecemenu and setpiecemenu at gmail.com is where you can get hold of us and thank you to all those who have in the intervening period after parts one and two of our media discussion uh, once again when we uh, reconvene we'll go through some of uh, your contributions so thank you in advance for all of those so fittingly as we enter a new year part three of our discussion about football in the media is about the changing media landscape a bit of cheesecake just going down there. How much difference has social media made with its relative lawlessness? And at the other end of the spectrum, clubs are siphoning news through their own media channels, the very epitome of controlling the story. And then, of course, there's the coming together of the two club Twitter accounts, particularly during matches, are sometimes a source of frustration and amusement in equal measure. So in this changing media landscape, is the truth harder to come by? It sounds rhetorical. But I require an answer. It, this sounds like a, a, so the sort of thing they should discuss on a, on like a, on the New Statesman podcast or, 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 or the Radio Four Today or Radio Force, Radio Force Today program with Gary, Gary Richardson and Andy, and Andy Hinsley and Ed Whittington Smith. Listen, uh, the yeah, I think that the 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 club account, the the club website thing I find really interesting. So it's the clubs are basically engaged in like a low level silent war with local media because to Manchester United and Manchester City. 
the easiest way to get to direct traffic to their news outlets compared to to the MEN is to deprive the MEN, the Manchester Evening News, of as much access as possible. Because why would you want to give away all this content to this 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 third party organisation when you can monetize it yourself it makes no sense mm. it used to be that the local media of which steve and i were a part and you were as well yes, Andy, yeah. used to be the go-to outlet mm. for getting any extra messaging out there um there was a quid there was often a quid pro quo which was we give you something and you give us an outlet so it the messaging wasn't necessarily always football-based, uh, certainly in the commercial world in which I worked. But but yes, it was the, the first the first point port of call was the Manchester Evening News, local BBC, local commercial radio, and they were your your biggest allies. Mm. But now, because they're so much bigger, and because social media and their own websites are so much a big part of what they do, it's very different. Well, it is very different, and the clubs see the club website as being a way of getting the pure message out there, of saying this is exactly what we want. It's controlled. What they it's, think is pure. It's what they think is pure. <laughs> it's controlled. It's, it's it's not the truth. It's their truth. It's their truth. Yes. It's, well, but we, but we live, as we know, yeah. in, in this environment where, where truth is fluid and, and nothing is quite certain. And the clubs are have made a, pl- a play over the last 10 years, I guess, to kind of to m- make the most of that and say, this is, this is if you want everything stripped away, if you want all this nonsense from the media that we've been talking about for the last two weeks gone, then cl- come to the club website and you'll get everything. It's, it's, just, it's just the facts. It's just the facts. And obviously, it's only, it's only the positive facts. It's not the negative facts. But it's just the facts. And you'll, you'll kind of, you'll, you'll read the version of the history that we want you to read and that you also, want to read as Yes, exactly. The, the, you'll hear what you want to hear. Well, but I don't know if that's true. I don't. I've got to admit, I don't from know. From their if, point of view, from the club's, from, from the club's point of view, it's but it's brainwashing. Yeah, it's not brainwashing, but it's kind of reality distorting. It's I would a say. bland, sanitised version yeah. of the truth. Yeah, it's propaganda. AKA it's, brainwashing. It's propaganda. Yeah, is propaganda. It, yes, it, propaganda is one step lower than brainwashing. Yes, brainwashing okay. suggests something medical. Yes, yes. it's yeah, it's, it's propaganda. It's, Let's not rule it out in the next ten <laughs> to twenty wow. years, though. Yeah. It is a changing media landscape. <laughs> might come, it might come with your season <laughs> ticket. But I'm fascinated to know. I think it already does. I'm fascinated to know whether whether that's what fans want. I really, I mean, I think that the, the club websites function presumably as a convenient stopping off point in your daily perusal of the internet for, did you know if there's something really important, it will be on the club website. But that's I, not always true either. No, that's not Actually, yeah. there are, there are clubs. Was it, was it Swindon Town whose top story on the day they sacked their manager on their website was that half price season tickets yeah. were still available, something along those lines. But it's even, as, as you said, the, <laughs> if you follow, I mean, if you follow a match on an official club Twitter feed you you you'd have you'd be standard if you so, to bring it back to the first episode of this series if you then watch match of the day because they don't mention the other team's chances they don't yep. mention that the other team might be on top for a bit it's it's this or re- even just capitalizing your own chances and yeah. lowercase yeah. the old, so goal for your club yeah. and then if the other club scores goal lowercase yeah. full stop so you know just <laughs> even framing it like that gives you a certain an impression of what's it going on. It distorts it, and this is the problem that we've we've been t- talking about throughout, with with the perception of bias and the perception that everything is framed in a certain way, and the the fan suspicion that that media media outlets are, are structuring things in a way that isn't true. The clubs are taking advantage of that. They're taking control back, aren't they? They're saying, saying we don't have to trust anybody else with yeah, what we put the, out there. We're we're putting out. We know. But there's a flip side to that, which is that the clubs are saying 
They're creating a reality that the fans want to live in, where they say all of our chances are great chances and all of their goals are lucky or don't happen at all, or the red card wasn't, was controversial for them, but ours, when that, that player definitely didn't punch him in the face, or we're not going to mention that we've sacked the manager because we're 12. They are, create, they are distorting and fanning the flames of this kind of partisanship. Uh, they'd like more control than that as well. I mean, there, there are certainly examples increasingly of clubs looking to distribute interviews that they've conducted with players or management to the media. Particularly new signings, large, for New example. signings, that was the example I was going to use. Uh, you know, and that therefore to cut out mm. the, the, the media from having to come to the training ground and interview their new signing. I mean, let's use an example, Paul Pogba, when, when he arrived at Manchester United, where well, he was interviewed by the club's in-house television channel, and they would have made clips of that interview available to, to media outlets who wanted to use them, provided mm. they gave credit to MUTV. Paul Pogba, I think I'm right in saying, did not do a press conference of any type for several months mm. after becoming Manchester United's record signing. I think he did a press conference ahead of a a knockout, knockout tie in the, in the Europa League on the, on the run to winning the competition. So that is an example of, of how they, clubs, would like, to, would like to control even more. And governing bodies are the same. You know, the, the FA look to distribute uh, interviews with, with members of, of the, the England squad rather than have media come down and conduct those interviews themselves. Arsenal. But wasn't there a big money signing? Was it United signing? It was unveiled in the Far East before it was unveiled. You're thinking of the Carabao Cup draw? No, I'm not. No. No, that, was that wasn't on the far east. That wasn't a draw. <laughs> no, I'm sure there was United, and it got released, or it was it was the, the first story broke in the far. And you wondered again why? Maybe it's for PR and everything. Mm. I can't oh, remember, I was think it United they, player. Yes, or was they, it, uh, they released. They they did a. Um, they timed the release for the opening of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange or Singapore yeah, or yeah. whatever it was. And it was, yes, three or four o'clock hour time because um, some of Manchester United's shares are... Was that Pogba? Or not, no, was it somebody I else? I don't know if it was Pogba. I can't, can't remember who it was, but, the, but there, was, there was a significant yeah, uh, yeah. press release. I do remember. And we'll, the club is clearly controlling to, to forget. Yeah. But I yeah. do remember that. Yeah. Arsenal for a long time have, for midweek games, for lead cup games... Maybe not for midweek Premier League games, but certainly for League Cup games, and I think for sort of minor European games, they have released quotes from Arsene Wenger rather than holding a press conference. And, and an Arsenal television interview as yeah. well, should people want to should use people it. Should people want to use it. And that is the clubs trying to control things, because obviously the club media is not going to ask the, the same questions as the national media or the lo- or even the local media. The... Uh, the there is, an, there, is, there is an element of blame to be accepted on the behalf of the media who should be refusing to use those quotes. Yeah. Well, the BBC's policy is to not use it apart from in extreme circumstances, as in uh, editorially, it's, mm. it sets the news agenda and it has genuine value uh, to them editorially in terms of content. But, for example, that Arsene Wenger mm. uh, would, wouldn't be it's used It's like a party of political broadcast, isn't it? Yeah. You mm. say, well, there's going to be nothing in there that we can really get our teeth into. It's all just from... From your point of view, isn't it? So, but the, I, th- I think what's really important about this is that so, if we accept that social, the big effect of social media in the last ten years has been to entrench partisan positions more amongst fans, for various reasons that we've touched on. I think before, I think it's the proximity, the fact that you now you get to see the Liverpool fans celebrating when you're a United fan or the City fans celebrating when you're a Chelsea fan and you, you, you are exposed to that much more than you would ever have been 15 years ago. So it hurts more, it matters more, everyone's much more angry, every perceived slight seems to kind of hit home more. So we have this sort of entrenched partisan position. We live the sport which we covered ages ago in the post-truth thing. Football is a really good example of a post-truth environment where where everything is kind of up for grabs and everything is interpretation 
and nothing is secure, nothing is nailed down. And what the clubs are doing is they are trying to to exacerbate that situation where they are saying that all you do not need this, this middleman to interpret the information for you. We can provide you direct with the information. But that is coming through a, a prism as well. It's just an unspoken prism. And I'm fascinated to know whether, whether fans realise that what they're being fed is fluff, whether fans like it, whether they, they accept it, how they view the club website. What do people use club websites for? Well, the clubs are filling a void for many fans, aren't they, that don't get the same blanket coverage as the top clubs would get. So I can kind of see how if you're a mid to, to bottom table Premier League side or a, a relatively large championship club, that having a, a strong online presence in terms of Twitter and, and your own website is providing fans with a service on a day-to-day basis that they simply would not get from the national media mm. and with the scaling back of local media, which used to be the go-to place for those fans to get their information, that, that they are providing a much-needed service and providing you can approach that service from a growing-up logical standpoint that what you're getting fed is the club version of, of, the, of the truth of reality and that you should explore other avenues of information when it becomes available, then that's absolutely fine. I guess the flip of that, though, is that the the big clubs, the power that they have and the the finances at their disposal to have these huge in-house media operations is that although they get considerably more coverage across the the mainstream media, they are still able to outweigh that with what they can provide internally. So even those fans that don't really need that service are getting it in abundance mm. and therefore it is that version of the truth is is drowning out the more mainstream measured version of it but it's also it's, it's distorting what truth is because if you are presented with a a version of reality in which the the team you support or the manager you like or the player you love is flawless and you are then presented with an alternate reality where the manager you support, the team you support, or the manager you like, or the player you love, is not flawless. You will naturally be drawn to the former one and see the see the alternate one as being some sort of agenda or well, bias, bias against, against or, you, yeah, yeah. or kind of problematic proof of the media's inherent corruption. By presenting a, a kind of polished, sanitised version, the clubs are calling into, calling into question, and it's not deliberate. I'm not saying they're doing it deliberately, but they call into question kind of what reality is. Because they're, they're, you can now say, well, actually, I, I want to live in a world, just as you can, you know, if you're of, of that persuasion, you can disappear into a whole, like, Breitbart, kind of crazy alt-right world where everything is the fault of this and of the mainstream media, the left-wing liberal elite, whatever. You can, and the Jews, you can, you can blame and everything. Hillary. And Hillary. You can descend into that world if you want and kind of comfort yourself with it. With the clubs, and it's not nearly as pernicious or harmful, you can descend into this world as a football fan where nothing your team does is wrong, ever. And that, that is quite dangerous. And I also don't think it reflects the reality of being a fan. And it was also football isn't that important that you, no. that you need to I don't know, protect yourself from... Yeah, but it is. To, it is. This is the whole point. But it shouldn't be that, that it shouldn't be that The clubs maybe do this, for, again, to, to safeguard any bad news as they see it getting out. But there they must be, clearly, a lot of fans who like living in that world where everything is brilliant and everything is from a city angle we should we should probably differentiate between two sorts of content there's the kind of content which is match based news based whether it's picking out some quotes from a pre-match news conference which are benign to say the least or picking out something equally irrelevant from a post-match 
press conference when all the talk is about something which is more controversial or during the match not mentioning those things which are negative to your team. So that's that's one thing, the kind of the news aspect. But there is another aspect to, to, to club media, which is which is non-news related content. So there are a lot of creative people out there who are making a lot of very good stuff for a lot of um, fans who are getting a proliferation of content which they would have never been able to do before because they're relying on the national media or local media to provide that and often they wouldn't because of manpower because of time airtime they just couldn't give up that sort of airtime so whether you've got MUTV who of course have schedules to fill or you've got Manchester City just because we started off using those two examples where they don't have their own in-house television station but they have on-demand um, content yeah, on their website yeah, yeah. Um, so you can go and watch most of what you can watch on MUTV but not on television, you watch it on, on the websites uh, as an alternative. Some of that content is beautifully made, mm. very cleverly done, and it's got buy-in from the players and the manager because they know it's going to be very carefully controlled. Mm-hmm. So there, there is an element of it which is incredibly positive and you engage a lot of young fans because of it and you're able to send somewhere to a, a whole area where essentially you are getting more content than any generation prior to that would have done. So that, there is a good element of it. But when you're talking about the news aspect of it, where you are controlling an element of the truth, then that that is something which is yeah, which is harmful to what a fan might end up living within. It's totally. Well, I don't know if it's harmful is the right word, but yeah, it's totally understandable if you're a whoever you support. If you if you want that kind of level of access, I've never really been that type of fan. But if you want that level of Do you access, you have a phone club call when you were a kid. No, it's really expensive. I used, yeah. to, I used to read the, the headlines on Teletext. Teletext, yes. I never phoned up for that reason. Yeah. But there are those who yeah. clearly, yeah, because who it did. kept going. Yeah. So. The, but if you're a fan, you want to see behind-the-scenes videos of your players doing this, that, and the other. That, that makes complete sense to me. And as you say, a lot of that content is really, really good. And I think that's where the, where the clubs excel. Because ultimately, the other thing, we mentioned market forces in episode one. But, you know, there's not. There isn't a market for... The lo- local media has been paired back by cuts everywhere. But in the national media, there isn't a market for a you know video of, like... Benjamin Mendy doing this, that, or the other, or you know Ke- Kevin De Bruyne having a swimming race with whoever. There is loads of of brilliant, slightly offbeat content on the club websites and the club social feeds and what have you. That there isn't, a, there just isn't a market for elsewhere. That and that that is completely valid. And I, although I, it doesn't necessarily appeal to me as a fan myself, I can understand why, particularly young fans, want that sort of access. And I can understand why the players really like it. I think the problem comes when the clubs do not reflect the full gamut of their experience. I also have a big issue with the clubs who do all they can. A lot, Not all clubs, but a lot of clubs spend a lot of time getting very angry about terrible lies in the media about transfer stories, but they all have a transfer gossip page on their websites. And I guess I, be, I would bet a million pounds that it's the most read page on their websites because that's what people want, transfer gossip. A lovely little ditty there. Yes. yes. A little tune. Yes. Well, it really annoys me. your way of doing sarcasm? It really, annoys, it really, it really annoys me because I think that the, the, the BBC having a transfer gossip page and taking everybody else's work and claiming it as their own is one thing. And that, that is the most visited page. Yeah, on the they don't take they they they, 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 they credit but, but they at the same time they are depriving this massive state conglomerate are depriving and they they get the clip because they they mean, get the clips as everyone goes on to everyone the first I would I would bet loads of money that a lot of a huge number of football fans their first website visit of the day will be the be the BBC transfer gossip site that's one thing the clubs doing it having spent all their time. You know, the manager saying, oh, I refuse to answer questions about transfers or the, the club saying, no, that's nonsense or, you know, kind of briefing against the stories. To then put it on your website just seems a little bit sort of cheeky. Crass. Yes. Crass. Yes, chinch. Yeah, it's crass. crass. Mm. But no, it's, the, it's, it's that distorted picture of the, of the club's existence that I think is, 
is problematic because I think they are making, they are deliberately stoking that idea that the media is not honest. So what does the national traditional um, liberal elite media do in response to that? How do they how do they battle that? Because there's a situation now where if there is an ever decreasing divide, both A, in terms of your principles and B, in terms of the amount of content that you're getting, how do they how do they bridge that divide? Can, can these two things coexist? Do the, does the national media, the traditional media, both broadcast and print, have to set itself up as something else? Because at the moment, it's being negatively portrayed as being the anti-club message and therefore is being portrayed as being biased. It keeps you honest, don't you think? That's the thing. Social media keeps you honest. That, I mean, All you can do is keep doing the right things, keep yeah. doing the honest things, keep doing the fair things. Whatever a club might think you're doing... Mm you can't waver from, from continuing on that line. And deep down, as long as you're right, and as long as you're fair, mm. you should be okay. The, Ferdy did once ban someone for getting a story right, didn't he? Yes, I've, I, and there have been certain instances of members of the press getting banned for correctly predicting the team Yes, in the, 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 the morning paper. You know, that yeah. because they've obviously got to, their, their information is too good, and therefore yeah, they've had to serve a serve a punishment. You're for not that. allowed How to be dare right. You? But the, I think if you if you the media does need the social media is a massive is a massively important check on the way the media does its business, and I think that's it's really important that that exists that journalists can be called to account in a way that they couldn't be before and commentators. Yeah. Is that is that something you find? Because obviously Sky and the Premier League, by by the nature of the importance to Premier League football to Sky and and likewise the, the coverage of the Championship, how does that relationship? Work? Uh, do, do the lines get get blurred? Do you feel, or, or you know? well, in terms of the job that we that we do, we yeah. have to be kind of towing the party line, or because you you're your your host broadcasters, you are the broadcast partners. Um, you're in bed with the Premier League. You're in League. bed with the Premier League and I, the I EFL. Don't feel, no, I've you, never been. What, so you maybe have to view things in a certain way and, and tend to be more positive. Yeah. Yes, everything is great. Um, the, the only th- thing I've been encouraged to do is when, say, a game is clearly terrible. Mm. Don't say it's terrible because people can see it's terrible. Try and look for ways of that it might be improved. So the opposite is the still Alan Green approach. Yes, I think... So uh, Radio yeah. 5 Live commentator who after two minutes has decided something's terrible. But that's, that's, there's that's ways of terming it. It's scrappy. It's a scrappy yeah. game. But then saying, well, this substitution or, or this could change or he could do this. So it's looking for positives within the game. But that's not trying to tell you, well, this is a brilliant game regardless of what you're watching because it's one of our games. It must be fantastic. No, I've never felt that I'm encouraged to do that. But it's natural that any broadcaster would, would not want to encourage people to turn off. The, yes. but you, the, yeah, the BBC yeah. Cont- yeah. continuity people don't say next up homes under the hammer, but this one's crap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or just, or just not even saying that. Just, just going. Oh. <laughs> yes, you've seen this stuff before. But that, but that is that is a loyalty not necessarily to your partners, the Premier League. That is a loyalty to the people who pay your wages, um, because you want to. It would be silly to undermine the product of which you are a part. But I also feel that is part of my job and how I would see things I always look to say well how could you improve so it, in life as well it's how can you improve a situation if you watch how a football match how he sees us how, yeah, how, there's, how, there's do you, how do you replace each one you know, of a haircut here a change of jumper there <laughs> it's, that's, just, that's just how I see just life a little bit too quick but, to that wasn't it so when I'm, when I'm watching when I'm watching a game I, I just tend to think along. sometimes games are great and they speak for themselves and there's goals and incidents and everything else. but when, when things are a bit dire West Brom against Stoke and it's nil-nil after an out you're trying then to say well I'm trying to look for something in here that might make it a bit more interesting I'm not just doing that because I'm paid to do that I genuinely that's the way I would see anything that I'm doing I try to see a way it can be improved part of the difference between print and broadcast media is the fact that 
the broadcast media generally speaking is in the entertainment business yeah um, and so you are not first and foremost but you are always thinking about how to be entertaining so if West Brom and Stoke is nil nil after 60 minutes even if it's terrible football you it is incumbent upon you to be entertaining. Now, that might be because you're you're being informative yeah. and you are attempting to come up with ways to improve the game via substitutions, via football reasons. But we commentated on Manchester City for a season when they only scored 10 goals at home. Yes. That, that was dire. It was it atrocious. Was. And so yeah. the way that we did it, because obviously you're less beholden to multi-billion pound conglomerates, that actually you can you can mock it and be entertaining in that way by being, yes. uh, hope, hoping to be amusing, which is about two-thirds of what we do on this podcast. But <laughs> we, By so the way, City, City now call a season in which they only score 10 goals at home, summer. <laughs> they don't have to be there and they will score yes, 10 goals. Yes. But so that's, that's the way you, your overarching theory is to, to try and to entertain. But it's different in the print media and it's also different in one part of club media. Half of it, it's the content we've talked mm. about, is to entertain. Mm. But the other half is is not about entertaining. It's about getting a message out there. Is that too cynical? I think the managers... So we talked last week about kind of managers using the media to, to get a message out. But I think they know that... So Marshall McLuhan said that the, medi- the, the medium is the message. I think the managers know that they can't use the club media to propagandise themselves because it's too obvious. So I think the managers know they have to go through the, the traditional media to get those messages out because you need... Partly because... If you're Jose Mourinho, you you are probably quite confident that no Liverpool fans are reading the Manchester United club website. So you're not. What's the point of telling MUTV how much how defensive Jurgen Klopp is? Because you need Liverpool to realise that. You don't need you yeah. don't need that to be a sort of localised message. So it's almost that now the traditional media's role as the club see it is to do their dirty work for them, I suppose, to an extent. And the price that you pay for that is is that the risk that they will unearth something you don't want them to know. I've definitely heard examples from people I know who work within club media where the managers of those clubs have refused to talk to them about topics that they've subsequently 10 minutes later talked about in front of the the national press as though they do exactly as you said they, they they draw a line between that they see them as two entirely different entities yeah. and will have entirely different conversations depending on on what suits the narrative that yeah. they want to deliver in that in, in that environment it's really interesting you do see you're right there's a lot of buy-in from players into a lot of the, the slightly fun funner stuff that the club sites do but at the same time the managers always seem quite resentful of having to speak to the official club representatives it's really it's really odd to think mutv in mid sounds get blanked by players just as much as as everyone else does, which because is astonishing, because they still see it as media, yeah, and and it's a, as a burden upon their yeah. time, they they don't distinguish in in that regard, which is why they sometimes want to go home just like journalists yeah. do. Yeah. But that, but then again, that's how it then also counts against the mainstream media, because if they ha- come out and are placed by a media, you know, club media representative in front of a camera, do an interview, and that happens to be with the in-house TV mm. station, they don't believe that they should then have to do do anything else. No, I've already done my media. Yeah. Well, not not really. You've you've done, you've done the in-house yeah. stuff. This is the message that gets delivered to a much yeah. wider sphere. But yeah, in that regard, they don't distinguish. But in terms of how they they coexist, which is what you said initially, that's what you'd need to know to an extent, kind of what people are using club websites for. Like how much how much do people want that official message, and how much do they? Because with transfers, which is the the, the thing that drives more traffic than anything else, that's what people seem to like now more than anything is, is transfers. You're not going to the club website because the club website is not going to break the transfer for you. You're, you. 
it's in the summer and in January when people will be will be trawling all these websites of the media that they are convinced are biased against them to look for transfers because that's what that's and the kernel of truth and the kernel just there's there's a chance that and the clubs don't care that much about transfers because in all the noise only uh, you, you can write every single tra- pretty much every transfer is 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 telegraphed beforehand now but it's also surrounded by lots of transfers that don't happen so who can tell which one's true but transfers work as propaganda tools as well because if you're seen to be and this this works for, for, for Manchester United in particular if you've seen over the last few years the, the attempts at large big name transfers that if you're cynical you think that Edward Wood has been desperate to, to get to, to make sure that they keep their profile as high as possible and eventually when they fail to do all of those things they get in Jose Mourinho the highest profile mm. uh, manager instead and since then obviously they spent a lot of money and bought a lot of uh, good players but the the propaganda value of a transfer for a club based media outlet is only the final yeah the transfer has happened yes then you get the payoff of having the only interview which you syndicate out and no, nobody gets to have any other, other version of that interview it's the one that you're able to control but up until that point you don't get via the club media any sort of the sense of oh we're in for that yeah. we're in for that which increases value mm-hmm. PR, brand, all those things that globally make a difference to a big club. They don't get any of that because they can't put any of that on their website. So they need to brief the newspapers. They need to brief the broadcasters to be able to get that story, that narrative building to get a sense of this is brilliant. This is brilliant. We're in the media eye because we're going to make this big sign and we're going to spend hundreds of millions of pounds on this player. So, so this is another example of when we spoke last week about having your cake and eating it. That's that's another example, isn't it? Well, it, it, is what is all of what we've discussed not the the propaganda propagandization of, of football that the entire experience is now? Is my wedding ring falling off? Oh um, well, oh that's not good, really. Well, yeah. Well, we know uh, Kate's not I've, listening. I've, so I've, I've put it back on. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> For two on the wrong then. finger. <laughs> everything everything now is kind of weaponized to serve as propaganda. So you're right. Transfers are, are a form of propaganda to. To kind of to increase your me- your media profile, to increase the size and power and potency of your club, but that's been going on for ages. That's what Real Madrid do. That's you know that's not that's not new. And Manchester United have done it more recently. That clubs now gauge their strength by the number of Facebook likes they have, or or Twitter followers, or what have you, or Instagram shares, or whatever it is. That everything now is is kind of being yeah being used by the clubs to create a an image of them that they can sell they're monetizing it that's basically what they're doing and that's maybe the future of the relationship between the media and the, the traditional media and the new media which is that the clubs are trying to monetize that an image that has been created for them by the traditional media and, and manchester city have a mi- more than a million people subscribers followers on on youtube, YouTube. Yeah. And that is, you, you think about what that means to advertisers. They can spend Must direct marketing, huge amounts of money. Yeah. And this situation, if we're talking about the changing media landscape, I assume that's not going to be reversed. This distrust, perhaps, that is manifested in club media of the mainstream media will continue to grow. Supporters will perhaps turn more and more to the individual media that they they trust and Rory brought up an interesting point earlier that even can be focuses down to players you know if you're Messi over Ronaldo Mm. then you're going to be following Messi stats on Twitter and celebrating every goal that he scores and you know not believing the records that people telling you that Cristiano Ronaldo is breaking that this will get worse the other thing I I was talking recently to somebody who as well as working in the media lectures um, students in in broadcast media, and 
it seemed to me that a large number of the graduates from those courses now, their first step in their career path was with either club media or perhaps governing body in-house media, you know, the FA or organisations like that. And that that is where they are now cutting their teeth and gaining their experience because local media budgets have been cut. That, that side of things is shrinking, but club media departments are growing and presenting opportunities for these people, that that's where they are now finding yeah. work. Mm. So people with aspirations to, to work in journalism or broadcasting as, uh, are able to fulfill those aspirations in, in those non-traditional environments. Some of them move on, but it, 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 as this lecturer is explaining to me, some of them don't, that becomes their, their career. So, it, you know, that, as well as the people who absorb that stuff, the people that create it, are perhaps starting to feel and believe that it, it carries a great deal of value. Mm. And that's the future as well. It's gonna be, yeah. That's going to be more important to work in that environment than to work in the mainstream media. For, for the prospects for your career, I wonder if those people who work or began by working and haven't had any uh, career in the traditional mm -hmm. media, whether they would be considered by the traditional media as having the right qualifications or qualities to get a job to cross the divide because they are doing as much if not more work but is the value or quality of that work the kind of thing that that would have newspapers or broadcasters i um, think i think you can cross over i don't think it's a, a dead end but then it's question i guess is whether you'd want to does the number of jobs in the traditional media are, yeah. is going down and the number of jobs as steve says in the in the new media the club media is, is going up and i didn't want to suggest for any minute that those you know as devaluing that as a as a career path because it is an opportunity for people to fulfill their ambitions mm. now that doesn't exist in in what we would consider to be those traditional media environments and you know people have every every, every right to go and fulfill their their aspirations but it it, it does seem to me that's that that's where the opportunities are now presenting themselves so that that's a massive change in the landscape do you ever feel there'll come a point where fans will only ever go to their clubs websites and deal with the clubs things already happening they don't even think don't about know. reading a newspaper or watching so, a balanced some. view I think some do some, maybe they've been putting it in 20 years will people because of social media they'll just digest what clubs they get so enormous and they just basically overpower the mainstream media that fans will just say well that's where I'll get my truth from whether it be well, right or not that's where they'll go. they won't have any interest there must in be a parallel in history <laughs> what, <laughs> that football is following what I think what what's probably more likely is that most people get their news not from People don't go, don't open up their computer. My mum and dad still go on the internet. My mum and dad still say, oh, "I'm just going to go on the internet." And they go and turn the internet off and then sit on it and sit on the internet. And I've, I've tried to explain that if I don't reply to one of my, my dad gets really touchy if I don't reply to an email for ages, and he'll sort of say, "Well, you're not on the internet." And you sort of want to, Dad, I'm all literally always on. Do the they internet. do they tip their computer to get a download to happen faster? <laughs> they don't do that. No. no, no. Oh, that's, come that's on, George, be no. serious. I've actually done that anyway. The, um, so basically, you're saying you've got no excuse whatsoever so, for not. Yeah, Fueling his fire. I'm busy. Yes, Technology the, is not preventing me replying. <laughs> my interest in the subject matter <laughs> is what's preventing me yeah. replying. So they sit at the desktop computer and they type in www.bbc.co.uk. But that's not how people consume news. What no. people have news fed to them through the algorithms, through Facebook, through Twitter, through Google, and all that stuff. So I think what's more likely to happen isn't that people will think. I am not going to go to the guardian.co.uk slash football today. I'm going to go to mcfc.co.uk or stokecity.com or whatever. 
they, they are simply going to gradually disappear into their own filter bubbles and their own echo chambers where everyone they follow conforms to the worldview that yeah. they want, which is being shaped by club licence stuff, by official accounts, by positive accounts. I get really annoyed. I know what you mean about the local media being the, the immediate allies of, of, of a club and that, that symbiotic relationship is important and natural. But at the same time, they're not cheerleaders. They're not oh, no, there to be cheerleaders. No, no, no. And they the, still have to hold them to account the in the same way. To, yeah, exactly. And But I think that, the lo- that there aren't certainly local newspapers and I would imagine local radio stations who don't do that anymore because they, they know that the the club is too valuable to them yes, as a partner to start criticising. And that's that's dangerous. So I think what, you'll f- what you find is that people generally will be sort of subtly, silently, un- in a sort of unspoken way, just shaping their worldview to fit what they want to believe to be true. And maybe that's where social media and the, the way the clubs approach the media intersect. And it will give us uh, opportunity, no doubt, to talk about this a lot in the future because it's not going to change. Well, if it changes, it changes in a way that makes it more interesting and more yeah. more worth talking about. Uh, not too much of an abyss that we're staring into, but uh, but still, if you, if you want a job in journalism... Uh, your scruples will have to die a grim death. Um, <laughs> but mind you, I, even I was t- the first thing I was ever told was check your morals at the door. So that's that's probably not changed. It's such an old-fashioned hack thing to say. I know. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I still have morals. I want to make that abundantly clear. <laughs> what did you check at the door? Dress sense and <laughs> spare time. Uh, if there is a uh, a little unopened gift under your under your Christmas tree, even though you should really be getting rid of it uh, by now, well, we'll explain what that gift is. It is something that you've waited since before Christmas to open, and it is not necessarily large. It won't take up much of your time, but it will be nevertheless the greatest gift that we at Set Piece Menu can bring you, and that is a soccer story, because you have been waiting for three whole episodes for me to say these immortal words I feel like we should enshrine it in some way in an almost quasi-religious way I wouldn't go overboard it's not that great a story but carry on never mind Jack and Ori what a soccer story this is when Andy tells a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed although in keeping with the spirit of our conversation this story comes from your media days post-playing yeah it's a sweet little story because ah. uh, we've had this heavyweight we've topics. We've got some jingle bells to put yeah. in the back. Heavyweight <laughs> topics of the media. Now, working for Sky, we're, we're a close bunch. But there's always, you always have pranksters, don't you? Oh. There's people who like yeah. to play little tricks. <laughs> now, we have Neil Cave. Neil Cave, who works for Sky, is a sound guy. Not means a sound guy. He's a great guy. But he works with the sound. So he's from Manchester. He's sound. He's sound. <laughs> right. And he works in the sound department. He does all the cables, makes sure everything works. Technician. Sound technician. Sound technician. Now, it's... He does have wandering hands, but not in the way you're thinking. I take to matches, like a satchel with all my notes and everything. I always tend to take a little treat for myself and the commentator that I'm working with and the, the tech who works with us, Andy, who looks after all the, the box to make sure everything works okay. So I take some biscuits or something like that. Oh, now, lovely. this well, game, lovely, this game, I, I took some Tunnock's tea cakes. Oh, now, do we, do we know choice. what Tunnock's tea cakes are with choice. the marshmallowy? They're yes. delicious and they're wrapped in foil. Are they a particularly uh, English thing? Do we need to explain it to us? It doesn't matter. <laughs> and anyway, complete <laughs> disregard. Biscuit marshmallow wrapped in chocolate. In yes. so in chocolate. Box of six. So I think this is lovely. A game at Wigan. I think it's Wigan against Blackburn. Oh, oh the big one. And it was you a, need your tea it was a scrappy that. match. Oh, anyway, scrappy match. So I've got these. I've got these tea cakes in my little satchel bag, zipped up, and we go down into the interview room. So we go off and do interviews and everything else. And Neil, at times, has stolen things. He says they fall out, and he takes them. But I, I know for a fact he unzips my bag, takes my biscuits. And he, what he did on this day was he, he took the tea cakes 
out of the box but put the empty box back into my bag so when I'd gone off and done my interviews and I, I came back I always just double checked to think wait it's a minute been has he been in my bag so I open but I see that the top of the box is still there and think oh they're safe he's not taking them zip them back up again all the way upstairs so the game's obviously going to start so I'm thinking at half time full time the tea cakes are in the bag this is going to be what a joy it doesn't matter about the game we've got the tea cakes so at half, it's a terrible game nil nil at half time I think I'm working with Gary Weaver this day go to my bag thinking right we'll get a cup of tea teas are lined up go to my bag take out the box of tea cakes it's an empty box of tea cakes <laughs> so he's, he's taken but then my phone dings with a, a message a video message <laughs> So I'm, I'm fuming at this point. I'm not happy because I, I really, really want a tea cake. I go to open the video up and it's downstairs in the interview room. My tea cakes that I have brought for myself and Gary Weaver are being eaten by Neil, the floor manager Mickey, two of the cameramen <laughs> sitting there saying, cheers, Hinchley, thanks a lot for the tea cakes. But I went absolutely bananas. I don't know, I've met, I'm not an angry man. But the, I was absolutely... It went on for about a minute and a half, this video. And I'm watching it thinking, <laughs> they're, my t they're, my tea they're eating my tea cakes. And I sent a video. I shouldn't have done this. But I got Gary Weaver to video me. I sent a reply video, which I'm not proud of. I'm not proud of it. But it got circulated. As soon as I sent this to Neil saying, when I get hold of you, you're going to pay big time. <laughs> and it was only about 15 seconds, but sadly... <laughs> He instantly, with social media, sent it to everybody. And everyone at Sky now calls me Mr. Tea Cakes. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, a cameraman I've never seen before. All right, Tea Cakes. What? What? It's gone everywhere. It went, I think it's, is the word viral? Yes, it is. It went oh, viral. It went viral. But it was the brilliance of the fact that if he'd taken the box, I'd know it was missing, but he took the tea cakes out of the box and put the empty box back in. So the double whammy of not having the tea cakes, then having a video of other people eating them, just tipped me over the edge. It tipped me, I went absolutely, I'll try and get you a copy of the video that I sent back to Neil. And um, as I say, I'm not proud of it. Is this why, not proud of it at is all. this why now whenever we see you on Sky Sports News ahead of a game that you are co-commentating on, you're always wearing a satchel? Yes, because, you, yes. because with a padlock learned, on you've it. learned your trust, <laughs> your, your trustworthiness has, has been compromised too often. But the, the trouble is now, I, I worry about, I want to take something to, to give to someone at half time nice. to have with a cup of tea. But now I have to think, well, if I do that, it could get stolen and eaten by a reprobate. Exactly. And I don't want that, no, do no I? One does. No one does. But it, I think the fact it was tea cakes, the only time I've ever taken tea cakes... If it was biscuits, I don't think I'd feel so strongly yeah, about yeah. it. Well, it's what, the foil and everything. It was so, so unhappy. What is it they say about a quarterback at the end of a good season? They have to look after their defensive line? Is their that offensive line. Their offensive line. And they go take them out the to dinner. The problem is, is Chinch, Chinch, your mistake is that you are looking after just the commentator yeah. and the co-commentator. You're not, not looking else? after the well, right yeah, cakes. You're selfish. Don't call me tea cakes. <laughs> Mr. Tea Cakes. At setpiece menu or setpiecemenu <laughs> at gmail.com and we will try and get a hold of that video and we'll put it on Twitter at setpiecemenu. Oh no, you can't do that. Um, thank you to all those who have contributed over the last few weeks. Um, by the way, keep those ideas coming for podcast episodes. We have a lot of filling to do over the next few months. Uh, shout out particularly to Simon Glover, uh, an excellent suggestion which we plan to steal completely. Uh, thank you to you, Simon. Please do subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Uh, thank you to Andy, Rory and Steve and to you all for listening. Uh, for all three episodes of our media extravaganza, your thoughts, please, to at setpiecemenu and setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Uh, in the meantime, we'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. You can eat your cheesecake now. This last piece of cheesecake, it is just one 
Little raspberry. Bit of hard the now. fluffiest. It's been, it's been out, outside for some time. No, the consistency looks amazing. You're going to describe yeah. it to us, you. Nope. That, I like Greg that, Wallace. Oh, I like that. That's my impression of Greg Wallace. It's the same it's as very my good. Same. Dying. Uh, so that's Simon Glover. That was the email you distributed to us recently that was yeah. bursting with good ideas. The reason uh, I didn't, good ideas. didn't say exactly what it was is because. We're going to steal it, yeah. and um, I don't want anybody apart from Simon to know when we're stealing it. Oh, no, I thought you, you were doing it because we know that the people who make Fred South, Fred South Side are listening, and we don't want them robbing it. Oh, yeah, that's true. We don't want to steal an idea from someone only to have it stolen from us first. Yes, exactly. There that needs to be, be on one stealing only, like the Tunnock's tea cakes. Yeah, exactly. Does that make us feel better if we steal someone's, and then it gets stolen from us? Well, it's a compliment. It put it this way. Simon emailed us yes. for us to have this conversation. Yeah. Simon did not email us for... Did he say that? Did he say that? Did he say that in his email yes. that we can use this? Yes, yeah, he, didn't, yeah. he didn't. He didn't. He didn't email to say, "Lads, I've had this brilliant idea for a podcast subject. <laughs> Don't you dare use it. I just <laughs> need to work out how I'm going to put this all together." Here are double all the check. details. Double check. I'll, I'll double check. I'll tell you what. He's had so many mentions over the last one minute and a half. No doubt he'll uh, want to get in touch to say thank you. Yeah, just give us just just give us clear permission. Maybe write some sort of note, legal note. That yeah. might that might do it.